few people peeked in the door that I was really angry with them. They ran right back out because I was just standing here. <clears throat> but I was asked to talk about the 11th step, which includes meditation, which means silence and stillness. And we observed about two minutes and some new folks looked at me like, what is he doing? And some of the older folks had no clue what was going on because we get so uncomfortable in our natural state of beingness, which is stillness. And so we're fed two minutes of stillness, and we have no idea what to do at that time. Somebody, please do something because I can't stand being quiet. And what we get to touch is how busy we are for no reason throughout the day, listening to the mind and the thousand voices that it's chirping and takes us away from where we experience God, and that's in the breath we take, which is right now, this moment, which we never experienced before. My name is Peter. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I'm grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, even the taper was getting nervous. He says, this is minutes. I'm taping off the CD. When's he going to say something? Uh, Jesus. Um, God separated me from alcohol on June 23rd, 1988. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and I say recovered because I am. Anything less than that would be falsely humble. Yes, sir. How's that better? Okay. You got it. I'm from New York. We handle guys like him a little different. You know me. Um, So um, a recovered alcoholic, I get recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And uh, after being around here a while, it's not only obsession that's removed and obviously the phenomenon called craving that's removed because we're not drinking anymore, um, but we can get recovered from the isms that accompany alcoholism. And going to meetings doesn't treat that. Having a great home group or a popular sponsor doesn't treat that, and, 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 and doing some of the fellowshipping things doesn't treat that. It's just one part of a three-part remedy. And a lot of our information to experience God, which is what the big book is a vehicle to, to experience a God personal to me, which I go from grace to spiritual fitness, and there's a big difference between the two. But going from grace to spiritual fitness, I need to be involved in all th- three sides of the triangle. And when you can locate me in in any side of the triangles, that's where I'm busy, in fellowship, working uh, through my big book and sponsoring others. And that's where intuitive thought comes from, from being current. And when I'm complete like that, I'm part of the circle and whole with no beginning and no end. The problem is a lot of us come to Alcoholics Anonymous, and this was my experience the first six months in here. I was making lots of meetings, but I didn't have a big book or steps, and I had a sponsor and name only. And uh, uh, December 22nd, 1988, almost six months to the day of being separated from alcohol, and I didn't quit. I didn't just put the plug in a jug. That sober day was given to me by a loving God, but almost six months to the day later, I wanted a drink more than anything in the world, and only grace kept me from drinking because I was running around in AA as an untreated alcoholic, full of agnosticism, driven by a hundred forms of fear. And I was going to meetings, and it wasn't treating it. What I was lacking was an experience with God. And there's a huge difference between believing in God and knowing about God, but I'm a seeker of experience. I have been for years. I'm no longer a seeker of belief or faith. 
at the end of the day, I need to have a God that's personal to me and experiences to move me from moment to moment to moment. Belief and faith will not work at that point. And that's been my experience. So I'm running around in Alcoholics Anonymous, driven by fear, going to meetings, and I would leave the meeting, and it was back on me. I have to run to another meeting, and I'd be okay. I'd get a little bit of relief and run to another, run outside and hit me again, have to go to another meeting. And when does it end? And that got too great. That pain got too great. Because what alcoholism does is go underground and resurface in other areas that call the sprees. And we emerge remorseful with the firm resolution. I'm not going to do that again. Because we can be separated from the substance and still having thinking sprees and fear sprees and sex sprees and money sprees and food sprees. And then we run to a meeting. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm totally great. Everything's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? And we put on, as my sponsor used to say, the AA game face. And we look real angelic and spiritual. But if you would have saw me an hour ago, I was a train wreck. Right? Well, going to meetings is not going to treat that. But God could and would if he was sought. What am I doing to seek this power? And for me, it was bottoming out in Alcoholics Anonymous that I ran to a gentleman's door and I, I wanted to drink and only God got me there. And I gave him my tales of woe. And he says, Peter, where are you with God in the 12 steps? Is when you stop, stop the steps, when you stop throwing up your late. That's going to ruffle feathers in contemporary AA where he make a, you know, do a step a year, work the first three steps, be the third step for six months. People die on that. Right? And we have a solution called God, and what we ought to be in AA is a pep rally for the power of God and shouting God from the rooftops. And the neat thing, what we have in Alcoholics Anonymous is not religious dogma. We have spiritual discipline, spiritual rules, the 12 steps that will guarantee me an experience with God in permanent sobriety. So we suffer along the way. We land in Alcoholics Anonymous, and we have a big prescription. It's called the first 164 pages. I know a lot of you guys know how to fill out prescriptions. I live in South Florida now. Bogus prescriptions are like going to a supermarket. And I say, we have a prescription. It's called the Big Book Alcoholics Anonymous. If you were sick, you go to a doctor, give you a script, fill it out, go home and follow directions. And we're dying really from a terminal illness called alcoholism. It's not treated. We're guaranteed to drink and die. Or we can experience permanent sobriety. All we have to do is open up the book with a teacher. And this book will enable me to find the power which was going to solve my problem, not just the drinking problem. So how bad was it when I got here? Because if I've, my experience has shown, because I went through seven treatment centers, my first six I had a lurking notion and a reservation. I even had a powerful desire not to drink and still wasn't enough. I couldn't just rest on a powerful desire. I needed more. When the door opened with the powerful desire, I needed a teacher to show me how to get to a place called God. So I can be here today and experientially talk to you about God, my experiences with God. And one of the greatest gifts I've gotten, Alcoholics Anonymous, aside from being sober and recovered, is knowing that I am known by my creator. It's not something vague and abstract. And what I experience today is oneness with this power, no more duality or separateness. What always gets in the way is the thinking mind, however. It sees with fear, it hears with fear, it speaks with fear, and that's how most of us operate. 
We operate on a level of human consciousness, which is how we interpret everything. No wonder why we're writing inventory and need to drink just to wash the day away until we get to a place via the 12 steps where we get to operate on a God consciousness, a completely different level. And we're even able to move through the chaos that happens still. In fact, we get to see that the chaos that's out there, living in a world of impermanence where relationships sometimes come and go, money sometimes comes and go, jobs sometimes come and go, with all the thunderbolts we get, that sometimes God's orchestrating the whole thing, and I become still in that. And I don't sit around saying, why me? But how do I get through this? What's my mission? What do I do? Well, I got one goal I'm supposed to be doing, experience God and go shout it from the rooftops and pass it on to others, and I get to wear, wear the world like a loose garment. See, I'll lay off some here to Vegas. Whoever drove to this place alone today, if you really think about it, you weren't alone in the car. Because if you play back the drive over here, how many people were you talking to at the same time in your head? We're talking to like 45 other people from 30 years ago. We're arguing with them on the way to the meeting. I can't believe I'm still married to this. I can't believe I'm still married to that. <laughs> Got to get a new job. <clears throat> One more drink won't hurt. You know, it just goes on and on. We argue, we debate, and we walk into A's. How are you doing? I'm great. Everything's good. Beautiful right over here. <laughs> right? And then when we go home, the voices are waiting for you. They're waiting in the car saying, hey, you're late. Let's go. Right? And they put you to bed. And you ever see a drunk when we wake up in the morning? We're always tired because the voices talk all night long. We toss and turn. We toss and turn. Why do we do that? When I get to have an experience with this power called God, and little by slowly I start to experience the death of self before the physical death, and I start to get my spiritual wings and get free. If you're free here this afternoon, you can get freer. That's been my experience. And if you're in bondage and you're sitting here, I'm not here to say who's right and who's wrong, who's more spiritual and who isn't, but why you sit here at an AA conference and have bondage. Why do we have noises in the head? Why am I dominated by the thinking mind, which is really, in reality, my God? We talk about God. We talk about Zara the heavens. We talk about our own little religious communities that we belong to. But our real God is the mind. If we think about how we operate, whatever the mind says, we do. And it creates more problem. And we look to solve a problem, the same level of consciousness that creates it. And we return back to the mind, which creates all the problems. And I want to get still and I want to get free. What I forget is that the same mind is creating all the dialogue is the very same guy who wants me drunk. And yet I entertain it. You ever notice how we go to a meeting and we tell a new person, bring the body and the mind will follow? Trust me, I don't want that guy's mind anywhere near me. <laughs> we go forwards through the steps. And we look at a problem in one, hopefully we surrender to that notion that I'm going to drink. Where step one says, not that I can't, I'm going to drink. I'm doomed to drink. And I will take people with me. And we point to the solution in two, that this power is going to relieve me and, and of, of, of insanity and bring me to truth and wholeness of mind. Well, that's not going to do it yet. I need to make a decision. That's still not going to do it. I've made many decisions to get to the gym. And until I get to the gym and work out, I'm the same guy with the same problem. So I make a decision, off I go in four through nine, and something happens in four through nine. And somewhere around 10, they say, we enter the world of the spirit. 
experientially, can we talk about entering the world of the Spirit, what that feels like, how tangible that is, that we get to a place called recovered? And we start to grow in understanding and effectiveness in step 11, and we incorporate other books besides our big book. I know I have. And I seek, I seek out religious people and make use of what they offer. I will tell you my greatest spiritual teachers have been members of Alcoholics Anonymous, though. Right? And we go past this on in the homes, occupations, and affairs <clears throat> in step 12 and work with other drunks, and we get free. And then we rest on our laurels. And the same way we went forward through the steps, we start to go backwards through the steps, and we start to get sick. But what we all have, and this is why we all need sponsors and we get to have sponsors, we all have this blind spot. And the ego reemerges and says, you're good. You don't need a meeting. You don't need a sponsor. You don't need to write inventory. Why pray? You prayed last month. What are you worried about? Huh? And we stop working with others, and sponsorship becomes something that we used to do. And having a sponsor we used to have. And my prayer meditation starts to fall by the wayside. And I have no 10-step, and my amends list is mounting, and defects of character are running the show. Instead of being a host to God, I'm a hostage to fear. I'm not discussing my life with anyone. My, even though I'm packed like this, my life has is is, is become one of isolation. And only certain people know certain things, but not everything. I haven't written inventory in a long time. My will is my will, no longer God. Insanity returns, and bang, I pick up a drink. And that's the relapse. And we wonder how that happens. So here's the question. Currently, what's my experience with the 11th step? Currently, do I have a prayer life? Currently, do I have a life of meditation? Currently, am I writing nightly review and discussing it with someone? Thursday nights at 9.30 and Saturday mornings, unless I'm traveling at 10.30, I'm reading inventory to someone. On Thursday nights, sometimes I work. I started this little thing. I'm in a treatment center business, this alumni thing, once a month. So those nights, my sponsor knows I'm working. But Thursday nights and 10.30 on a Saturday morning, I'm reading inventory, and he tells me about my blind spots. And we do some prayer over the phone, and off I go, pack into the stream of life, maybe more inventory to write. But each night I sit down, and I retire at night, and I write a little inventory. It's part of my 11th step. The thing we don't talk a lot about in Alcoholics Anonymous is this prayer meditation piece. I've heard lots of folks say, well, I pray in the shower. That's great. It's dialogue with God. You know, I pray on my way to work while I'm driving. I ask them, just don't meditate while you're doing that, right? right? <laughs> and I pray on my way to work while I'm in the car. And that's great because we're talking to God. But am I giving God the dignity that God deserves? Am I giving attention to this power while I'm driving and watching the traffic? And that's my time for prayer. While I'm showering or taking care of my children, I'm talking to God. That's a great thing. But that is really a sacred time. Am I really making it sacred? And whether I'm hitting my knees or sitting in a chair and giving attention to this power, which at the end of the day is the only power that's going to keep me sober. No human power can relieve my alcoholism. And we sit, we sit back and reflect on this great power, all love and no opposite, that's giving me a daily reprieve. And all I have is time, two minutes in a car while I'm driving to work to say thank you. Is it possible I've become the power and I really don't need God? I check in with God out of guilt. And yet when I sponsor people, I say, are you praying? Are you meditating? But I'm not doing it. Our book says on awakening, not three in the afternoon, on awakening. Right? 
And we ask God to direct my thinking. I ask God to direct my thinking because when I'm directing my thinking, bad things happen. I run into me wherever I go. Hopefully, if I'm doing inventory at night and discussing with someone, I'm not waking up with an emotional hangover. Because regardless of what goes on Monday, someone's going to know about it. And I'll read some inventory and see what corrective measures I should take. And I close my day of prayer and meditation. So when I wake up the next day, it's new, like the new breath I'm taking right now. My current practice is prayer and meditation. I've been at this a long time, three times a day. No one has to do that. That's how I've been moved to do it. That's where my Heavenly Father moves me, on awakening. And I have a meditation mat that I sit on. I give it, I give it what it deserves. And I have all my stuff. I have pictures of family members who are close to me. I have all my religious articles that mean a lot to me. And different religions, too. I'm not closed-minded anymore. And I have some stuff. I have, I've created a space in a place called an altar. Right? And I have my big book and my scripture. And I sit in the morning. And I offer prayer. And I ask my Heavenly Father to guide me through the day. And then I go into sacred silence like we did for two minutes at the opening of this talk, and many of us got uncomfortable. So I sit. I used to be attached to how long I'm going to sit in meditation too. And I remember a bunch of years ago, there was a thing going around, well, I do 20 minutes in the morning like I was going to erect a statue for me now because I did 20 minutes, right? Or I did 45. And Well, you know what? That's God's deal, how long God needs me in there. Maybe it's 10 minutes today. Maybe it's an hour tomorrow. I'm not orchestrating any of that. I'm not playing God. But I give attention to this power and I sit with posture and breath and I'm still. I used to use candles and incense and music and I'm just working just alone with breath and knowing that it's my father who breathes through me, not me breathing. Right? And I get to experience oneness with that. And it's repetitive. I just work with it and work with it and work with it. And in the afternoon, I usually get a lunch hour. I maybe get a little break and I disappear. I'll go sit in my car, close my office door, and I work with the religious practice. And it takes me all but 10 minutes to go through this religious practice, and I sit. And I go back to breath to keep the center centered. And then I go and work with others. I'm in a business that can be even hostile at times. You know, keeps you on your toes. It's really in, in, uh, in, uh, in the trenches. And I need to be still in order to be of maximum service because I'll get pulled from a hundred different angles. What well, doesn't happen? And I become very mindful of what I'm doing throughout my day. Huh? There's a neat thing. I, I work with this book, <clears throat> and I'll get to our big book in a second, but uh, I work with lots of books, and here's what it says. A state of enlightenment is attainable here and now. It is possible to live free of suffering, free of anxiety and neurosis. To do this, we have to come to understand our role as the creator of our pain. Our own mind causes our problems, not other people, not the world out there. It is our mind with its nearly constant stream of thoughts, thinking about the past and worrying about the future. We make the the great mistake of identifying with our mind, thinking that's who we are. Fear-based and insecure, and the ego the size of Texas. Right? And our mind is God. Whatever the mind tells us, we listen to. I thought of it, it must be good, so off I go. And what's interesting is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is not aimed at the mind. It talks about the mind in Chapter 3, but it's not aimed at the mind. It would be self-help if it was. It's aimed at awakening the spirit. And the process of recovery here is about removal, never addition. Right? 
And the book doesn't say if you have 10 years, you're a guru. If you have 90 days, you're not. It's not interested in that because this process is one of transformation. It's not a lineal one. It doesn't care about that. God doesn't need a watch or a calendar. God is. So I sit in the afternoon, and in the evening when I get home after my day, whether it's 7 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night, I'll do my practice. And that's some inventory, some prayer, and some meditation. Then I'm done. Then I'm done. How am I doing throughout my day? Well, my book tells me an 11-step what I'm supposed to be doing throughout the day, but I like what it says in step 10. It says it's easy to let on a spiritual program of action and rest on my laurels, my accomplishments of yesterday. You know? I'm headed for trouble if I do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. So if I'm kind of cruising through AA and just sitting in the back and hanging out, waiting for something to happen, I'm headed for trouble, a subtle foe. I'd never heard these words before. Subtle, sly, clever, devious, and difficult to detect. And the foe is a personal enemy. That's what's waiting for me. And going to meetings is not going to treat that. And if I have a sponsor, he can see it when I can't. I have a daily reprieve contingent on my uh, maintenance of my spiritual condition. Then it tells me every day is a day must carry the vision of God's will to all my activities, not when it's convenient for me. I need to be on the firing line and wait at the door. Now, here's the thing. What kind of message am I carrying, whether it's to someone in AA or I'm being helpful to someone out there? What kind of spirit am I meeting them with? Am I untreated because I'm going to pass on untreated alcoholism? Or am I experiencing oneness with this power called God and able to pass that on to others? What I have found very often is, you know, you get the, the, oh, my God moment. I can't believe God's working in my life. What a coincidence. And we get all blown away and we talk about it forever to other people. Guess how God, I, I mean, I get that. But there comes a point on this path where, well, why wouldn't God be working in my life? Why wouldn't God have the best intentions for me and for you? Why can't I see the spirit of God in you, even if I disagree terribly with you? And I've had people have taken shots at me and done very unkind things to me. My job was to suit up and show up to the altar, write inventory, and work on forgiveness. My job is not to walk with the resentment, because what if that person knocks on a door who I consider an enemy and says, hey, I'm in trouble, can you sponsor me? If I'm not in a place of forgiveness, I can't. And so how could I get to a podium of AA and say I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous when I have limitations on who I'm going to sponsor and who I'm not? God's will for me is none of my business. You know, here's a question. Why was I born? Only through working through this 11th step that some of these riddles were answered. Why was I born so I could have a life that's great? Well, yeah, but is it possible God brought me here to do some work? Same question, why did I get sober? So I can go on vacations and have her and make lots of money, right? Well, maybe not. I got sober. God got me sober to fulfill a journey he has laid out for me. It's none of my business where I go. I live in South Florida right now. I hope I never leave. I love where I live. But maybe next week God says, I need you to move to the hills of Montana. And I say, wait, God, hold on. I don't like this plan. I like South Florida. But it's none of my business. It's possible that sometimes when we get uprooted, God's saying, listen, I need a little beacon in your town and you're it. And you're just going to chop wood and carry water, go to your local AA, go to work like every other citizen, but you go in there with an awakened spirit and you will be a beacon to many. 
Am I ready to suit up and show for that any lens? If I'm experienced with this oneness called God, the human part of me in the mind says, well, I don't want to do this, but we can't help but not do it. And then when we land, we say, how great is this? That's happened to me a few times in my life. Why am I being pulled from here to here? Why am I being pulled from there to there? And once I land, I say, oh, my God, this is great. And while I was there, I did good. But I can't, I can't hear if I'm not clear. I can't hear the voice of God. I can't hear the intuitiveness. I can't hear God in you if I'm consumed with me. And the great thing about meditation is we go into darkness to, he- to see and silence to hear. And I wait. And sometimes I don't get it right then, but maybe throughout my day something will happen where I'm acutely aware of what's going on around me and mindful to the moment. And then, oh, here we go. And sometimes I need to be still and sometimes I need to speak. My book, isn't interesting, the 11 steps says we shouldn't be shy in the matter of prayer. How many meetings we go to and we talk about just prayer as the topic in an AA meeting? And how many meetings we talk about drama? How many meetings we shout from the rooftops about God and the glory of God and how God gets us reborn and resurrected and they say, oh no, he's one of them. How many meetings we walk into at a big book on the Aram, they say, you're going to bring nothing in here? Right? And I'll challenge some more. I'll, I'll just challenge some more. We have some folks who will shoot you down with a big book and claim to be, you know, good card-carrying members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Here's my question. I just watched a little video about Bill and Bob and our early days. And it was about carrying a message. And we had a big book. And that was started by our founding members. So how could I claim to be a good member of Alcoholics Anonymous when someone walks in with a big book and I say, don't bring that thing in here? We don't want to talk about that. Have I forgotten where we came from? Have I made up my own AA and have infiltrated and infected the glorious fellowship called Alcoholics Anonymous? Let's talk about that at some of our meetings. Never happened. It says, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Well, what do I do? Where was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, and afraid? Do I owe an apology? Have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once? What sort of thinking did I have throughout the day that no one's going to know about? A sponsor needs to know about that stuff. Was I kind and loving toward all? And I see what corrective measures should be taken. And I go into meditation and prayer. So what's my prayer life uh, look like? When I first was getting sober, I would uh, work with the Lord's Prayer, the Third Step Prayer, the Seven Step Prayer, the Serenity Prayer, and any other prayers you threw at me. And then I would read daily reflections, 24-hour day, meditation for men, meditation from, if you're from New York, it was a blank page. Uh, It's a picture of Robert De Niro, that was it, and off you went. And I had all these little meditation books, right, these one-page quote for the day, meditation for the day, and I'd have a stack of books, and I was becoming attached to the methodology rather than experiencing the power and worshiping the power. And I'd leave my house and go, oh, God, I forgot that book. Run home, read that page, and out the door. Well, that wasn't working. So I sit with the same prayers in the morning, and I surrender to God's will. I surrender to your will, Father. Your will, not mine, be done. No longer running the show. 
The thing about this uh, alcoholism is at the beginning, we can always say it's a shame-based illness. There's a lot of shame attached to it. There's a lot of humiliation, degradation. All of us think of the same things, the things we did when we were drinking, the things we did to get a drink, all of those things. We all have and use our first fourth step will show all of it. But we, what we tend to forget, what I forgot, was along the way about the embarrassing things, because this illness called alcoholism is embarrassing when we write inventory, the things we find when we're sober, double digits, and writing a thorough fourth step about the things that are still ticking within us. Attached to ego, still have some codependency stuff, still uh, uh, manipulate us, still a people pleaser, even though it's causing pain. No one wants to sit with the sponsor and say, hey, I'm sober 20 years and I'm still manipulating others. I'm still a self-seeker even though I'm being kind. I'm still scared to death in this relationship that I'm married to, I'm married to this person forever. My ego is still shown. I want applause wherever I go. No one wants to talk about that. But that's what needs to be discussed in inventory. And the solution to that is surrendering to God once more. Right? And here's what I found out through my experiences. I used to think there were two powers. There was the God power and the other power, the alcoholism. And I was going to get right with God to go fight this thing called alcoholism. And my experience has abundantly confirmed there's no such thing. There's one power. May I find them now? Chop wood and carry water. Keep writing. I get, I get connected to this power and nothing else really matters. I can do great things when I'm experiencing this power called God. But it's a personal affair. It's a personal relationship that I need to go. I call, I go into the bunker and I get still with my God in order for me to pack into the stream of life and work with other alcoholics. What message am I passing on? I've surrendered to God's will because we all have something that hurts. We all have that thing that we go, oh, my sponsor asked me, where does it hurt? What am I doing about it? I have a few of those things. Hate to admit it, hate to talk about it, but we all got where does it hurt, and we all have a hurt. What are we doing about it? Well, what I do, I I surrender to God to be healed. Even for the people who have done the hurting to be healed. Because it's no longer about me anymore. As a messenger of God, we're here to serve, not to be served. It says, on awakening, I think about the 24 hours ahead. I consider my plans for the day. And before I begin my day, I ask God to direct my thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. I may face indecision. I ask God for an inspiration, intuitive thought. Huh? I got this relationship with God, this one that's going on. Okay, God, what do I do? Okay, God, what do I do? My sponsor had me work years ago with four words. Turn, watch, aware, and observe. Turn, watch, aware, and observe. Turn into this power in order to go out. Because if I don't turn in, I'll go without. He had me working with the word turn. I, I said, man, it's crazy. Why am I working with this one word turn? But I got it after a while. Turn, watch, aware, observe. How am I doing? So I sit, and my meditations now, I don't time. I just sit, and at night, sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I work eight-hour days. Sometimes I work 15-hour days. Whatever it is, it is. When I get home, I'm tired. But I sit on the meditation, and I wait, and we go in silence to, to hear and darkness to see. And so how do we meditate? We go silent. How do we go silent? You meditate. How do you meditate? You go silent. How do you go silent? Meditate. <laughs> 
But lots of folks I've met over the years, some of them are really good with it, and many, many aren't. They think meditation is something they don't need to worry about. Until you experience the practice of meditation, you're missing out on so much. And putting the mind to sleep for a little while because we don't need a mind. We can walk around. It's called consciousness without thought. I don't need a mind to walk around. Instead of me, instead of it using me, I get to use it, but I need to be still first. So I sit with posture and breath three times a day. Right? So many men I sponsor and I talk to them about meditation. They don't even know how to sit in a meditation. They don't think a, uh, uh, AAs has anything to do with meditation until I show them the 11-step, which is prayer and meditation. Right? So what's that look like? How busy am I throughout the day? When I'm going through my day and I'm agitated or doubtful, what do I do with that? Push harder? Try to control and manipulate? How much fear do I experience throughout the day when things aren't going my way? What's that look like? What do I do in the face of fear? Is my, is my trust and reliance upon God or me or getting you to do what I want? Huh? As I go through the day, I, when agitated, doubtful, uh, uh, I pause and ask for the right thought or action. I constantly remind myself I'm no longer running the show, humbly saying to myself uh, many times each day that thy will be done. So when a thunderbolt hits, the mind seeks to uh, uh, get rid of the idea that God is present when things don't go my way, I think God's against me. When things don't go my way, I try to control and manipulate what's going on rather than saying your will, not mine, be done. So often when I get out of the way, it seems to work so much better than when I'm in my own way. So what moves me in the way is fear, the evil and corroding thread. When, we write inventory, when I write inventory, whether it's a fourth step or I'm doing my 11th step at night, fear is the evil and corroding thread behind resentments, behind sex, behind personal relations, behind everything, fear, fear, fear. And so where does fear have free room and board? In the thinking mind. And what am I doing to get detached or unhooked from the thinking mind? And the only solution is God and my current experience with God. So it allows me to be here free with a dependence upon this power called God, experiencing oneness with this power called God, not experiencing two powers, not walking around with a mind-dominated life, but living along the lines of God's will for me. And that's what I surrender to every day. That's all I got. Peace. This is a question and answer session, so you get to answer, ask some questions of Peter if you would like. Um, I would suggest not asking how much Big Book is too much. For those of you that weren't here, he was asked that question a couple years ago, and he said the directions are in the book. Seek this with the desperation of a dying man. Any questions?
<clears throat> the question was, do I meditate with music? Um, I did for a while at the beginning, but for years now, there's nothing going on. I don't even burn incense. Um, um, I'll burn sage during, you know, every once in a while, but I do nothing during meditation except work with posture and breath. Um, <clears throat> I, I love column inventory. It's my favorite. It's the way I was brought up in AA. I've answered the questions as they are written in the big book, um, which is fine. It's in the book. Uh, but I find for me to be a little bit more precise and clear cut, I write four column inventory every night. You know, resentments, fears, uh, anything else that's going on, and then discussion. Uh, I even do something, um, it's not a petition to God. You've got to be real careful uh, uh, with asking and really petitioning. But it says we inquire what corrective measures should be taken in the 11th step. So what I do as a spiritual tool, I'll just write down some things that look like the opposite of where I fell short. You know, um, anger, love, jealousy, trust, whatever it might be. And it's just something for me to look at and share with someone else. Yeah, but it's real careful. It's uh, proper use of the will and managing my life can be, you got to be careful with that. Yep. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. What what I've been doing for forever, uh, and it was given to me when I was in treatment because I couldn't remember to eat breakfast. I was so banged up. And uh, someone said, why don't you just make a little to-do list of what you need to do? And I went, you know, wash clothes, take a shower, eat breakfast, pray. And uh, that has been with me. I, I have a, a little agenda for the day, itinerary for the day. And I have lots of appointments and things I can't forget. Um, but what I approach it nowadays where, well, here's what needs to be done. A meeting at 10, staff meeting at 9, whatever it might be, a lecture at this time. But I'm not in charge of that because sometimes God says, forget the lecture, I need you here. And I can't go, oh, man, I had my lecture. Okay, God, off we go. So it's just something for me to see. But I'm not, I do not run the show. I do not write my life anymore. Every time I've tried to orchestrate my life, I've uh, experienced a lot of uncomfortability with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That's a really good question. Um, how do we quiet the thoughts when we meditate? Well, at the beginning, we're going to be attached to every sound. In fact, in fact we're going to see how noisy we are when we go into the first practices of silence. It's one of the great things we can use a learning tool. Like we're sitting there going, boy, I'm noisy. And we walk around with this consistently like if there was a really loud air conditioner on right now. We learn, we get used to it and talk above it. And then someone pulls the corner and go, oh, my God, that was loud. Most of us operate with noise constantly. So what you do when you sit in meditation and you become aware of it's noisy, we tend to fight it, which creates more resistance and more struggle. Don't. I'm sitting in meditation. There goes the fire truck. Okay, fire truck. Back to breath. And sometimes we'll go off on a little journey somewhere. We'll go on this tangent. We'll start thinking, well, I got to take the kids to school. I got a meeting with this one. And oh, if that guy's at the meeting tonight, I'm sitting in meditation. If that guy's at the meeting tonight, I'm going to give him a thing or two. Right? 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 
you know what I love when people say I'm going to give them a piece of my mind? If they're loony enough to take it, give them the whole thing, right? <clears throat> but at the beginning, when that's going on, that's okay. In fact, it'll happen. Sometimes I get it. You know, you're sitting there and all of a sudden you drift. It's when you become aware that you're drifting your back. Soon as I go, okay, I'm drifting, I'm back, and come back to breath. Great exercise. Breathing in one, breathing out two. Count them. Breathing in one, breathing out two. See the breath, feel the breath, one. See the breath, feel the breath, two. What that'll do is focus on something rather than everything. But at the beginning, we're going to get that. That's okay. Meditation, guys, it's, there's not a right and wrong. There's, there's ways to do this. In every book I've studied and all my teachers, teachers have shown me, it's posture and breath. And there's different techniques to this, but it's posture and breath. And all of them talk about how the mind's going to drift away. Like while I'm talking now, only us from here to Vegas, two-thirds of this room is into tonight's meeting or traffic going home tomorrow, or whatever it might be, while you're listening here. Why is that not going to happen when I'm in meditation and I'm left with me and the mind? The mind wants no part of meditation. Wants The alcoholic mind wants no part of prayer, wants no part of meditation, wants no part of a sponsorship, wants no part of the big book. What it wants to do is continually move. It needs to move. And the ego breeds. And it drives me away from you, away from AA, away from the big book, away from God. It drives me to a bar stool. So it wants no, no, nothing in the way that's going to prevent that. Wants me dead, will settle for me drunk. So it gets some voices going. And you say, I tried it. It doesn't work. It wins. Now let's do the 11 step. Well, it's not working. I'm not going to do that. It wins. Why even pray? It's a silly. It wins. Then you get a double and wonder what happened. That's how it operates. The illness gets, too sh- gets just as sharp as we think we are. So it's, I can't hit Joe with a drink. I got to come in through the back door and erode the foundation that was given to him. So it starts with doing things that the things we did to get where we are, we stopped doing them. It's called reemergence of ego. Right? Remember when we first came in here and we get a sponsor, start doing the steps and reading the book and knocking out meetings and shouting about the big one, you're on fire. And then you get a little reputation, and then you hang out. Right? And then you kick back. Well, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do this. And we start to go backwards through the steps. It's just what the illness wants. So am I right with God? Here's the thing with this stuff. Something I've worked with forever. In doing, we succeed. In discipline, there's freedom. So if I'm meditating and I knock out, I can only do five minutes before I feel like I'm going to explode. Right? Okay, five minutes. That's okay. In doing, we succeed. Tomorrow, maybe I'll stay longer. And in the discipline of sitting there and doing this work, there's freedom in that. Based on our track record, on what we've done, how's that been working for us so far? Uh Uh-oh, better go pray and meditate. Okay. Yes, sir. What do I concentrate on when the, when the prospects read an inventory? What column? Um, I can't say I concentrate. I just listen to what they have and where the bullets are, where the, flag, the red flags are. So today might be, you know, his second column is completely cluttered and it's too long or not clear. And maybe the next day he doesn't have a clear third column. So I just, 
I'm just open to that stuff. I, it's kind of like if I have that in mind, I'm playing God again, and maybe God needs to hear me. Let, let me hear something else. Um, I'm trying to get him clear. Am I clear? Am I open that God's orchestrating the whole thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I call Chris. Give it to him. (laughs) Pause isn't just like a pause, calmer, and then wait, and then you go. Pause can be a while. And if I'm still not sure, and I'm in pause, because I work with that a lot, especially what I do for a living, I seek counsel. God... Discussion, inventory, God, inventory, discussion. But God, Father, what do I do here? And wait. Because sometimes the ego wants to take over when I'm faced with indecision, which means it's coming out of fear. Am I reacting or being? What's that feel like? I know God's will and my will right away. And I can see if if I'm not sure indecision and I go, is there stress behind it? Is there anger? Is there vengeance behind it? In my my heart beating and I'm not really sure, oh, my God, that's my will. God's will, there's not not even thought involved. You just kind of move. One is with fear and one is with love. Yeah. I mean, I get get guys, uh, uh, Chris knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, You get guys who you give them everything to help them, and, you know, they kind of flip on you. And so how do I help this guy? How do I work with the family? How do I keep this guy from leaving treatment? How do I help this guy who have, you give everything and then they flip on you? Well, I'm faced with indecision right now. Maybe there's a business decision to be made. I don't know. So instead of coming out of fear, I wait and I pray and I'll seek counsel. Someone who's more experienced, whether it's in business or someone in AA, what do I do with this? I'm really angry with Joe right now, and I want to. I better pause and get some direction. And then I move. Mm -hmm. Going going through the day with fear and resentment, I mean, we all get it from time to time, but how many hours do we squander? My sponsor sat with me one morning. He used to call me up at 5 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, and he would be probably out of meditation, all fired up. He's, he's calling me money. Hey, money, what's going on? I, it's 6 o'clock. I don't know. You know. And um, he, he would give me all these considerations, and he says, what are you doing about the dash? One morning, that's 6 o'clock in the morning. He said, what are you doing about the dash? I, where are we going with this one? Right? And um, he's the dash. What are you doing about the dash? And he explained to me what the dash is. Go to a, a headstone in a cemetery. Day God brought us here, God takes us home. And, and the next day, in the middle is a two-inch dash. That's your life. What are you doing about it? And he says, how many hours are you wasting on projecting and living in the past and resentment and fear and who did this and who did that? Because there's going to come a time where God says, come home, and you realize that two-inch dash went awfully quick. I got to make um, an amends last week. It was over over 30 years old, this amends. And it came by reworking the 12 steps again. It just popped out of nowhere, and I realized I owe this woman an amends. 
So I do the amends and everything gets reconciled. It was really a, a neat moment. But what came out of that uh, about two days later was I knew this young lady when I was 17, 18, first love kind of thing. I'm 52. Lord have mercy. That flew by. Flew by. I feel like it was 17 going to play stickball back in Brooklyn again. Well, let's go. 1752. How did, how did I land here? Am I going to move until I'm here, until God calls me home with a lot of the wreckage that I left behind and justify it and walk around wound up and tight? Or am I going to take a deep breath and be grateful and say, Father, let's rock and roll? Right. Anyone else? Yes? Yeah, I don't want to break a tradition by endorsing outside stuff, so after the meeting, uh, I can give you a whole bunch. I'll give you my email, and I'll just email you a bunch of books I work with. Yep. Uh-huh. Yes, sir? Sounds like a press conference. <clears throat> Are you from CNN or something? Okay. Okay. Um, first question. I forgot them already. Hit me again. Home group in New York was, it was in Brooklyn, New York, called the Free Spirit Group uh, on 18th Avenue, 84th Street. I moved to Staten Island and uh, started a group called uh, the Way Out Group. I moved away from Staten Island. That group uh, kind of moved and folded and restarted. And I started a group in Union, New Jersey, which I was a member of, called the Vision for You Group. And I'm currently in, uh, living in Boca Raton, Florida, and my home group is in Deerfield Beach uh, called the Monday Night Step Study. And we have rotating 12-step series there. And um, second question was, Bill says the ego never goes away. Right. It's interesting. I asked my sponsor one time, he said, Mark, when does self completely go away? He says it may never, and if it does, that's up to God. My job is to chop wood and carry water and do the work and be free of it. And when the ego does show up, that egoic mind that's, that's pulling me away, if I'm on a spiritual path, I have some sort of awareness of what's going on just through the simple uncomfortability that ego's running the show, right? Like some folks ask me, what are you going to speak about? I don't have a clue. Well, I know it's an 11 step. I don't have a clue. Are you nervous? I just tell them, I hope I don't show up. <laughs> because if I show up, then I'm attached to, well, they're not liking me. I got to say something again. They're not like, oh boy, this is not good. I don't show up. Ego stays outside and God shows up and uses me. Huh? And how do I separate the two, wearing two hats in the business? One of my biggest challenges, one of my biggest fears when I first got into it, and my first mentor was a gentleman, real old-timer in New York, Vince D., and he taught, teach me about that. In fact, there's some folks who gave, give, can give you grief for talking about the 12 steps in treatment, and my thing is, why am I going to deny them a solution? Because they're going to die, and I'm not holding back. So there's, I put on uh, my, my business hat when I go there, but I'm always a member of AA, and I'm always a child of God wherever I go. Right? But I have some business to t take care of, 
and I treat business as I'm supposed to and respect the people I work for and their business decisions. But I'm always there in the spirit of AA. And once I leave and whenever God sends me home from a day's work, I'm still the member of AA. Right? See, there's a great thing. Uh, 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 it, it goes something like whether I'm working or playing, you can't tell the difference because it all looks the same. If I'm truly a spiritual being having this human experience, okay, I go to work, I put on the uh, director hat for a few hours a day, and I have some business decisions. I have a responsibility. There's a lot of money tied into this business, and I need to do what I do for a living. But I'm always a member of AA. I don't leave AA at the door and then go in and act like an animal and come back out and try to be angelic. Okay. It's interesting that approaching that business, you'll be surprised how many, how many people that resonates with and how many families totally appreciate not having some CEO on the phone or some business white-collar corporate America guy talking about their son who's in treatment or talking to another drunk. They got somebody real. Been very effective for me. You know, they're waiting to see a you know, shirt and tie guy on the phone. They get me. They get me. I'm a drunk. Recovered, but I'm a drunk. No? Yes, ma'am. How do we carry out God's will? And we're, we're, we know God's will. We don't have the power to carry it out. Well, here's the thing. We always have the power to carry it out if we've gone through the 12 steps. But here's the question. Do I want to? All right. All right. See, it's like defects of character. Got a defect of character. Sponsor, I can't let go of this greed or this lust or this. I can't let I got this defect of character and I just won't go. And have you done the steps yet? Have you prayed over it yet? So in other words, you don't want it to go. You like the effects produced by it. It keeps me irresponsible. I can say I'm still sick. I can say I'm still struggling. I also get attention for it. There's a, there's a payoff to that, and it sounds, I'm not saying that might be your deal, but as sick as that is, that's how the thinking mind operates, how the alcoholic mind operates. It needs to stay sick because that's where it wants me. If the, we get well, the mind gets unemployment list. It goes on the unemployment, uh, uh, right? It needs to keep working. So it loves defects. It loves drama. It loves thinking. It loves stuff. Loves fear. Got some work to do. It's creating it. Keeps us away from God in a sense. Right? Here's the thing about that. Can you, can any of us really be separate from a power called God? Right? We talk, I was growing up, when I was growing up, it was, you know, somewhere in the heavens is this God. Well, maybe it is. But what do I do when I'm working here? And the book says the great reality is deep down within. Have I gotten really clear that we're physical extensions of that power, which is non-physical? It's like me trying to separate myself from my, my arm and hand. I can't do it. It's the same thing. Right? So we have the power. We just need to get out of the way. Very often what gets in the way is fear of the unknown. Right? We hear a leap of faith. Take a leap of faith. Take the leap of faith. You're going to take a leap of faith. Hey, you need to take a leap of faith. I challenge that. There is no such thing as a leap of faith. 
Who gave me the intuitive thought to take the leap in the first place? God. Where I'm standing right now, who's there? God. When I land, who's there? God. And who's in the middle of the leap? God. What leap? No leap. It's just a new step. And there's greater pain in not changing than the change itself. Because the mind gets its, e- the ego wraps, its, wraps itself around that and says, oh, we can't do that. Right. Anyone else? Yes, sir? Okay. I don't read in the morning uh, anymore. Uh, it might happen again, but I haven't read anything in the morning. It's a very sacred, still time for me. I used to read. Um, so my, my suggestion here is before I get out my day and I have to be out the door at, say, 7, and I'm popping up out of bed at 6.30 and got to do some things, and then I go sit, uh, get up 15 minutes earlier, and at the beginning, 15 minutes early is going to feel like, oh, my God, I must be nuts. But like, you know, like exercise, the beginning it hurts, and then you can't f- see how you did without it. Right? At the beginning, you're going to get where it feels like it's going on forever. My first, uh, the first person who told, showed me how to really meditate was a woman who wasn't in AA. She belonged to this ashram, and she, her whole life was about meditation. And she says she put me on a timer for two minutes. Literally a time, it would bing after two minutes. That two minutes, I felt like I was in for 20 years. It was torture. And I'm sitting there going, this is not good. I got things to do. Right? Whoever the president was at the time, he's waiting for me to call. I can't be sitting here, right? Right? Um, but that's, that's what it does. But just here's what you do. Okay, you're sitting there going, oh, boy, this feels long. I'm watching the clock. So what? Okay, so I look at the clock, and it feels like it's not moving. Okay, go back to breath. And I really got a lot of stuff to do. Okay, go back to breath. 
this is foolish. I'm not getting any instant gratification off because I want to like be Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, and part the seas the first day of meditation. Okay. But in doing this, chop wood, carry water. Chop wood, carry water. That means I'm going to get a break of sweat. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to get in there. You know, when you do, when you do some growing, I used to have a little thing in my backyard in New Jersey. I used to plant tomatoes and things like that, right? When you start off, you get all the fertilizer. It's work. You get dirty, and it looks like a mess. You got one plot of land. There's nothing going on. Chop wood, carry water. And you keep taking care of it. A month or two goes by, and then God does what God does. And a couple of months go by, I go, oh, my God, look at this. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm actually eating off the stuff that God allowed me to plant. I'm nourishing my body with fresh food. How cool is this? It amazes me every time. So we go into meditation, or we start the steps for the first time. It doesn't feel good going through the steps at the beginning. It's uncomfortable, especially step four and five, right? There's a crushing of the ego. So you're sitting there, and it may not feel good, and it's work. Vision for you says patience, willingness, and labor. Labor is work. Okay, so that's what we do. But a week, two weeks, a month, three months go by, you'll be shouting from the rooftops. You'll be telling your prospects, go in there and meditate because we like the effects produced by God. Right? Okay. Okay. Got more time? Okay. Yeah, like the two-way prayer. Um, <clears throat> yeah. In fact, um, did I work with this writing down what comes to me uh, and journal it and differentiate God's will and my will? Uh, great practice. And, and um, I was doing that, and what came to me, believe it or not, I'm, I, I'm writing stuff down that's coming to me, it would be like, Greed, anger, love, trust, you know, things, right? Okay. And I call up my sponsor, hey, Mark, this is what I got, right? And uh, I would get an exercise to go out to my day with that. But one particular day I'm working with that exercise, and I don't know why page 68 comes up. Page 68. That's the big book. I go to page 68, and there's like two paragraphs that I read. And it was like almost three-dimensional. It was so powerful that I wrote it out on a sheet of paper by hand. And I went to my computer and I typed it up and printed it out. It became a prayer that I walked with for like the longest time that came out of that. Tremendous. And I would pass it on to others. Right? Great stuff. We trust infinite God rather than I finite self. That whole little piece on page 68. That came out of that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay, that's it. Thanks. I have some housekeeping announcements.